Still, Stuart Mazell, lead pastor of Westminster, and it's great to uh, again to see all of you. Thanks for those of you who are joining us, whether it's online or on the podcast. Um, we are finishing up our series called Life Together. In this series so far, we have seen that followers of Christ are called to community. We're not to be isolated. We're to be together and to be working together and praying together and learning together, investing in one another spending time together, helping each other to become better followers of the Lord Jesus. And that's part of what we're going to talk about today from the book of Hebrews. So our passage today is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, and this is what God's Word says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we need you. We need you and everything that you bring to the table for us to feast on, to, to be built up by. We need you, Holy Spirit, to open our eyes and to give us ears to hear to give us hearts that are soft, that will receive your word. We need you, Father, because we can so easily be orphans, just running around doing whatever we feel like doing without really having that fatherly care and fatherly protection and fatherly discipline. We need you, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so would you meet with us today? We don't want to go through motions. We don't want to just... Be in a pew and, and hear a message and then say, wasn't that nice or he could have done better. But what we want is to really meet with you. So, Father, would you help me to move more into the background and Christ to come into the foreground? Would you cause all of our hearts and minds to be ready to receive your word, that it would be soil that when your word is planted there, it would pr produce fruit 30, 60, 100-fold. And let this all be for your glory, uh, for the good of this particular church and for the good of the kingdom as a whole, as well as for the community that we live in. Lord, we want all of this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so first of all, let me just say that uh, some of you may remember that I preached a message on this passage in January of this year. And you may be thinking, what in the world, Stuart? Why are you returning to the same passage? If you do remember that, congratulations. You were one of the only 20 people who were here that Sunday. Because that was when, <laughs> it was hilarious, preaching on how we need to be together. And then the pandemic. And there was a, a sweep through our community. And so there was like the lowest numbers of people that we had on that particular Sunday where I was preaching on this passage. So now this is a do-over with more people in the room. Um, but second, um, some of you already know this, that our church has uh, recently undergone the task of rewriting job descriptions for the ministry staff. Well, that's not 100% accurate. We have rewritten it for certain ministry staff, and we've written it for the first time for one particular staff member that is myself. Uh, I didn't actually have a job description originally. Uh, when I became pastor of this church, there was a comment made during one of the meetings with the leaders that pastors don't need job descriptions because everyone knows what a pastor does. And that kind of took hold. And uh, so it's taken from 2012 till now for me to have a job description actually written down. Now, I'm not saying that to try to cast shade on anybody. It, it's just the, the facts. The problem with the kind of sentiment, though, that was mentioned that day about having uh, no job description for your pastor is reflected in the humorous article, The Perfect Pastor. I don't know if you've ever heard this article. Um, there are various versions of it. And see, there he is, perfect pastor. He's got a robe, a tie. He's got the whatever that thing is called. He even has a nice notebook instead of an iPad. I mean, perfect pastor, right? So there are various versions of this article out there, but most of them have the same theme. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I do want to point out a few items from the perfect pastor list. The perfect pastor is 29 years old and has 40 years of experience. <laughs> he works from 8 a.m. until midnight and always makes time for his family. He preaches sermons that are deep, meaty, insightful, and profound expositions of scripture, but in a way that is easy for everyone to understand in 20 minutes or less. He is vigorous in calling out sin, but he never hurts anyone's feelings. He invests heavily in the youth while spending most of his time with the senior citizens. He makes numerous home visits every day and is always available in his office if you drop by. He attends every function of the church and is always busy evangelizing the unchurched. He serves the church as counselor, career coach, business advisor, custodian, arbitrator, social worker, volunteer coordinator, events manager, fundraiser, recruiter, trainer, scholar, writer, manager, public relations officer, and CEO. He is good at delegating and does all the things other people don't want to do. 
And that's just a few of the things. Now, I'm not saying this to make you feel a certain way about me. I'm saying this because expectations for pastors can sometimes be ridiculously absurd. And that's why it's a good thing for us to have a specific job description. But also, I wanted to point out that one of the reasons why these unrealistic expectations for pastors happen is because the people of the church forget their role. Sometimes the people of the church think the minister is the one who does ministry and they just receive the ministry. But that's not what the scriptures teach, right? Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 12 says this, and he, that's Jesus, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's you all. For the building up of the body of Christ. Jesus gave certain positions in the church to help the church be equipped to do ministry. In other words, sometimes people in the church confuse the work of the pastor for the work of the church. Ministry is the calling of the church, not just the pastor. And that's part of what we as a church have really been very good at over the last several years. I have seen you all invest in ministry on a huge level, and it makes me so happy. Can I even say proud to be a pastor of this church where I don't feel like I have to do everything that you all are involved in that? And so consider this sermon just fanning into flame what we already do that we are together to do the ministry. Not just the pastor, all of us. And part of what we're going to see today from our passage is that if you're a follower of Christ, Christ followers are to encourage one another to be involved in ministry. Christ followers are to encourage one another to be involved in ministry. Let's take a look at this passage. First of all, we're going to camp out on this verse, Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, I, I do want to point out something about the word consider. Okay? The author of Hebrews isn't saying consider like, let's think about it, but don't do it. You know, sometimes that's what we think of as consider. Let's consider this and then not do anything. No, the consider is to think about it and then to put it into action. How do we stir up one another toward love and good works? When I, when I think about this passage, I can't help but think about, if you ever cooked um, beef stew in a large pot? And, you know, and if you let it sit for a while to cool, the meat sinks down to the bottom, right? And if you put potatoes and carrots in your beef stew, that sinks down to the bottom too. But the meat, that's what's most important, that falls down to the bottom, right? That's a joke, guys. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> I thought you knew that. Okay, 
So anyway, stuff falls down to the bottom. It settles down to the bottom. So you take a spoon and you stir it really good so that everything gets mixed in nicely so that you don't just have broth, but you have all of the elements of your beef stew. Folks, that settling can happen in a church. And that's why this passage says, let's consider how to stir up one another. Because it's so easy for us to settle into a routine. It's so easy for us to settle into the same old, same old. It's so easy for us to settle into what is comfortable and a habit. And we don't want to be bothered by anything outside of what we're already doing. Sometimes we need to be stirred up. Sometimes we need to be stirred up. We need, we've settled to the bottom and we need someone to come along with that big spoon and say, no, 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 let's get it back going again. Because we're better when we're all mixed in together and we're doing work together. That's what this passage is basically saying. That we are to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And look, when you're thinking about, well, what, what do we mean when we say that Christ followers are called to Uh, encourage one another to ministry. What does that ministry look like? Well, ministry, I'm going to give you a very easy definition of this. Ministry is basically any good work we do in the name of Jesus that demonstrates love. There it is. What is ministry? Ministry is any good work we do in the name of Jesus that demonstrates love, right? So this passage, Hebrews 10, 24 again, says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, to love one another, to love other people, and to do those good works. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, we hear these words, and this is something I keep coming back to over and over and over again because I think it's really important for us to hear. The whole law, what, everything that God has said, every command that God has given to His people, He says the whole law is fulfilled in this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. And how do you love your neighbor? You do good things for them. Martin Luther once said, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbors do. I think that's an important thing for us to remind ourselves of. God doesn't need our good works. Remember, God is God. He's the one who spoke all of creation into being just by saying, let there be. He doesn't need us. But our neighbors do. Our neighbors do. Each, we need each other. And we need to invest in each other and care for one another. And that's part of what this is. Ministry is when we do anything that is good out of love for another person in the name of Jesus. Remember, Jesus even said, if you offer a cup of cold water to someone in my name, that's, that's ministry. Just a cup of cold water. It doesn't have to be preaching. It doesn't have to be teaching a Sunday school class. It doesn't have to be leading some kind of ministry. All it needs to be is that you are engaged with another human being in the name of Jesus 
and out of love for that person. That's ministry. And that's what we're called to stir up among ourselves. And so, rather than being passive observers, rather than being passive observers of what's going on, we are called to engage in in, and stir up others to good works of love. That's what we're called to do. Rather than just sitting back and watching other people do ministry, all of us have a part to play. All of us are called to engage in ministry and to stir up other people to do it. Again, Hebrews 10, 24, let's say it one more time. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, right? That's what we're about as a church. That's what God calls us to. That's what Christ calls us to. We are to engage in ministry and to stir others up to love and good works. Some of you know that when I was in middle school, I played baseball. Now, I was terrible at it. I don't think I, my dad was an athlete. He was a great baseball player. And I think he was a little disappointed in his son who could not even catch a ball, let alone hit a ball. And, you know, the only thing I could do is run. And even that, sometimes I'd trip over my own feet. So I'm not a great athlete, never was, probably never will be. But I did play baseball in middle school. And as you can imagine, with that kind of um, resume, I spent a lot of time on the bench. A lot of time. One thing happened that I noticed that I haven't, I haven't processed until this week as I was preparing for this message. I would sit on the bench for a while watching the game, and I was very engaged in the game, you know, cheering them on and wanting, you know, okay, coach, when are you going to put me in? Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Good. Take me in. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm going. But it didn't happen. And after a while, I lost interest in the game. When you sit on the sidelines for too long, you lose interest in the game. When you sit on the bench for too long and you're not engaged, you lose interest. I went from put me in, coach, to goofing off behind the dugout, ignoring what was happening on the field. And we can have that happen in the church. When we're not engaged, we can start to think, you know what, I know Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, but I'm not really interested in the kingdom. I'm interested in goofing off behind the dugout with my friends because I've lost interest. This is is important for us to recognize because when Jesus calls us into his church, he calls us to ministry. To be involved. Jesus is the one who's going to build his church, but he's going to use you to build it. Again, you may not be the pastor, you may not be the evangelist, you may not be the one up front, but you have a part to play. There is no um, person who is unimportant in the kingdom. Every one of us is important. Every one of us has a role. And when one of us hurts, the whole body hurts. 
when one of us is not doing our part, it affects everybody. And so that's why this church is such a great church to be a part of. Again, we're not a perfect church, but we've got so many people who are already engaged and involved. And I'm not saying any of what I'm saying to guilt anybody. It is to say, let's stir up one another because we're already doing this work, but let's just continue because it can be so easy when someone sits on the sidelines. We can say, yeah, you need to take a break, and you do. Some of us do need to take a break because you've been working, 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 and you're the only one doing it, and you've been going, 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 and you need a break. But what happens when we stay on the sidelines too long? We start to lose interest in the game. So that's why the author of Hebrews tells us that we're to consider how to stir one another up toward love and good deeds because every one of us has this part of us. The Bible calls it sin. That part of us that says, oh, what God says isn't really that important. It's what I like. You know, what God says is important isn't really what I want to be engaged in. I want to be engaged in something else. And that's why we need Jesus. We we need Jesus, not just for recognizing our sin, but to take care of our sin. And that's where, if you're wondering, okay, Stuart, you're saying we're, we're all called to do good works. We're all called to stir up one another to good works. What does that look like? How do we do that? Because I'm on, I'm on the sidelines. I'm the guy, I'm, I'm like you. I'm behind the dugout, just hanging out with my friends and not really paying attention to the game. How do I get back involved? Well, first of all, recognize that we, as the church, were enabled to do these good works of love because of what Christ has done for us. Look, if you're trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and say, okay, I'm going to make this happen, you're probably going to burn out. You're probably going to go for a little while, and then your batteries are going to run dry. And then you're going to be sitting back on the bench again. But look, we're enabled to do the good works of love that Christ calls us to because of what Christ has done for us. Take a look at the passage before the verse that we've been harping on today. Verse 19 and following. The author of Hebrews tells us, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now let's just stop there for a minute. A lot of times, and I think Mike even mentioned this in his prayer, we have a a very nonchalant way of approaching God. We just think that any old person can march into the presence of God and just do whatever they want to do because, you know, God is God and we can do what we want. And that's not true, is it? God hates sin, and we all sin. I know that's not comfortable, but all of us are there, all of us, me included. We all sin, and the only way to enter into the presence of God to really come with confidence would be that a sacrifice has to be made. 
The scriptures say that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There's no washing clean of the person who sins. And so you need a sacrifice. And Jesus is that sacrifice. We have, and now we have confidence to enter into the most holy place of God's presence by the blood of Jesus. To give an illustration of this, and I, I love the way that the scriptures actually play this out. In the Old Testament, when a priest wanted to serve God, he could serve God, but he couldn't go all the way into the most holy place. Only the high priest could do that. And the high priest could only do it one time a year. And he could only do it that one time of year after sacrifices had been made for his own sins and for the sins of everybody else. And then and only then could he go into the most holy place where God's presence was said to dwell. And the Jews actually had this practice of tying a rope around the person's leg, the high priest's leg, just in case he didn't really handle all his sin issues and he went into the presence of God and died. So they could pull him back out without anybody having to go in there. That is illustrative. It shows us what it's like to enter into the presence of a holy, holy, holy God. And yet, this passage says that we can have confidence not as a high priest, but just as God's people in general to enter into that most holy place because Jesus shed his blood. He sacrificed himself for all of us. He took our sin upon himself on the cross and that made the world a difference so that now we can enter into God's presence with confidence. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry because Jesus has taken the sin of all of us who believe and he has cast it into the sea. His blood has wiped away the mess of our sin and now we can go to God as our Father and we can say, Daddy, I need something. And he hears us and he answers because he's a good Father who gives good gifts to his children. This is what this message is talking about. So therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest, that's Jesus, over the house of God, then he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. We don't have to doubt. We can know we can go because of what Jesus has done for us. And our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Our bodies are washed with pure water. And we can hold fast this confession of our faith without wavering because He who promised is faithful. He's faithful. He promised that if you come to Jesus, your sins are gone. He promised that you can go into His presence with confidence and you can have everything you really need for life and for godliness in this life. Why? Because of Jesus. Not because you're good. Not because you worked hard. Not because you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. But because Jesus has done the work for you. 
That is His promise. And the one who promised is faithful. He will never, ever, ever renege on a promise. That's good news, folks. And that's why we can come into His presence with confidence, but it's also where we receive what we need to do what He's called us to do. You don't feel like you can do good works of love? Go to your Father with confidence. God, you called me to this. Fill me, Holy Spirit, with what you want me to be filled with so that I will do what you call me to do. And know, have that confidence that he is faithful. He who began a good work in you, he will carry it to completion. And if that's true, then you can bank on the fact that if God calls you to do something, he will equip you with what you need. That's good news. In fact, the way, I love the way that Paul says it in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your works. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift, a gift of God. It's not a result of your works so that no one of us can boast. For we are God's workmanship. God is the one who is at work in us, through us. And He created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Think about this. When God brought you to saving faith through Jesus, He had good works in mind for you to do. That you should walk in them. And He is the one who's at work in you. God, the God, as I said earlier, who spoke creation into existence simply by saying words, He speaks into your life and says, you're a new creation in Christ, and I've called you to do the work, now go and do it. These works have been prepared for you. And you can walk in them. You can do them. Not because you're great, not because I'm great, not because we're awesome, but because God is awesome, right? Because God is faithful. Because God has given us everything we need in Christ. And as we look to Him, we can receive and then give. And so when this passage tells us to consider ways to stir one another up. I can't think of a better way to stir people up than to tell them that. God has a plan for you. God has given you everything you need. God has wiped away your sins and now you're a new creation and you can walk in, this, in His power by the Holy Spirit to do what He calls you to do. That's a way we can stir one another up toward greater love and good works. So your action point for today's sermon is this. Look for ways to encourage other Christ followers to grow in love and good works. Keep your radar up. Right? Look around. And if you see someone who 
you think, wow, you've been gifted by God in this area, but I don't see you engaging. Tell them about it. Say, I see you as someone who could do these wonderful things. God has uh, good works prepared in advance for you to do, and I just want you to walk in them. Remember who Jesus is and what he's done for you and how he empowers you to do these things. And yeah, you know, here comes the commercial, right? I know some of you are really tired of hearing about life groups. But I keep harping on this point because it's important, church. It's important. If you can do these things, the, th the four things we've talked about so far, you learn together, you can invest in one another, you can focus on praying for one another, and you can encourage one another in uh, ministry. If you can do all four of those things without being a part of life group, praise be to God. But life groups are one easy way of you being able to invest, to learn, to pray, and to encourage. And so I just encourage all of you, if you're not involved in a life group, please, please find a way to do that so that you can do all of these things that we've called We've called, we hear the call to do, that we can look for ways to encourage one another to grow in love and good works because God calls us to stir one another up. And it's an easy way of stirring one another up when you're sitting face to face with each other, you're talking about the gospel, you're talking about the good news, and you're praying for one another, and you're sharing your concerns, and you're investing in one another, and you can go, you know what? I think you would be great at doing this. Let's go do this together. That's what a life group should be like. So that's why we are harping on this so much. Um, I know we're at time, but let me just say this. When I meet with um, married couples, not married, sorry, ma engaged couples, that's what I was trying to say. When I meet with engaged couples for premarital counseling, one of the things that I try to do is invest in that couple with tools that will help them to have a better marriage. Because one of the things that I realized over the years is that you can have a marriage that is together, but it's not flourishing. You know what I mean? You have two people who are together. They're in the house together. They're, they're not necessarily at each other's throats or anything, but their marriage is not flourishing. I want to see marriages to, that will flourish. So I want to give them tools to be able to figure that out, ways of being able to work through that. And in the same way, I want the church to flourish in these things that God has called us to do. I want us not just to be okay at it. I don't want to be a C-level student. I want us to make A's, right? I want us to be that one that flourishes as a church. And then people look at, the, at Westminster and they go, wow, look at the stuff that you guys are doing. And then we can point all the glory back to God and say it's because of Jesus, not because of who we are. Not unto us as we sang today, but to you be the glory. It's not about us, it's what Jesus is doing in us. I want us to flourish in that church. So let's flourish. Let's flourish 
in stirring up one another to goodness and to love. And I'm going to pray for us that we'll do that. Lord Jesus, we need you. And we're thankful that you are our great high priest, that you've made the way for us to enter into the very presence of our God, to ask what we need and know that we will receive because you have brought us into the family, that our sins no longer keep us from you, but you love us and welcome us and invest in us. You care for us. We're yours. We not only belong to you, we belong to one another. So will you help us to flourish in ministry? That those who um, need encouragement would be encouraged. That those who need a break would be given a break. By others filling in the gaps. Would you just work in this body to build us up that we would do the works that you prepared in advance for us to do for your glory, for the good of this particular body and then for the good of the community around us. Amen.